You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Greetings, everyone, and thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show, and I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Big shout out if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you'll enjoy it and perhaps consider checking out some past episodes as well. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you guys rock. You're amazing, and I always appreciate the support so very much. A huge thank you to my incredible sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications through INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please do consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. That would be awesome. So today, my guest is Dr. Carolyn Coker-Ross. Dr. Ross is a nationally known author, speaker, and expert in the field of eating disorders and integrative medicine. Her books include The Overcoming Binge Eating Disorder and Compulsive Overeating Workbook, as well as Healing Mind, Body, and Spirit, an Integrative Medicine Approach to the Treatment of Eating Disorders, which describes her own journey to healing and the miracles she found along the way. She is also the creator of the Anchor Program, which offers a holistic approach for individuals with food and body image issues. The Anchor Program is a non-diet approach with a philosophy that health and well-being are everyone's right no matter their size. In addition to her work as a speaker and author, she is also in private practice specializing in eating disorders, mental health issues, binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive overeating, and addictions. You can learn more at her website at carolynrossmd.com. So today on the podcast, Dr. Ross and I are discussing the connection between trauma and eating disorders, a topic definitely close to my heart. We dive deeper into the topics, including events from how the past affect our eating habits, How much does trauma actually have to do with eating disorders? Understanding the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study and Eating Disorders. Impact of dieting on our mental health. How to develop healthy relationships with food and so much more. I'm honored to be able to share my incredible chat with Carolyn, and I'm sure you'll find it both validating and enlightening, perhaps for you and for someone in your life. So please consider sharing it. You never know the difference it might make in somebody's life. So without further delay, let's jump right into my chat with Dr. Carolyn Coker-Ross right now. So, hey, Carolyn, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you? I am great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. It is an extreme honor to talk to you today. I'm very interested and excited to cover the topics of eating disorders and uh, food addictions and how that plays in to trauma survivors. And uh, so before we do that, though, why don't we take a minute? You can introduce yourself a little bit to everybody about you, and then we'll jump into the podcast. Okay, great. Well, I'm a medical doctor, a physician 
I've been specializing in the treatment of eating disorders and addictions for some time now, and I've worked with all the eating disorders and also worked a lot in the uh, opiate epidemic as well. Um, I also did a fellowship with Dr. Andrew Wiles' program in integrative medicine, so I have a little bit of a more holistic or integrative medicine approach. And I am now the CEO of an online uh, coaching program for people with food and body image issues. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Matt, I've written a few books, too. I've written <laughs> books on binge eating, binge eating disorder, emotional eating, and food addiction. Absolutely, yeah. And I was going to ask you about the books, but I'll be sure and put your book, uh, the links, excuse me, your books, the links to them, your website, uh, everything in okay. the show notes so everybody can have it. So yeah, I'm so honored to talk to you. And I want to kind of jump right into because eating disorders and one of the th one of the first things I'm I'm very interested in is how does trauma have anything to do with an eating disorder? That's a great question, Matt. I don't think many people think that it does have anything to do with it, but actually I think newer research and the newer philosophy about eating disorders looks at the root cause of eating disorders may extend all the way back to childhood. And there's a very large research study that's ongoing with over 17,000 people called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And they've been able to link the number of adverse childhood experiences you've had with an increased risk for eating disorders. So how does that really come together? Let's see if we can connect the dots uh, for your listeners. So say you witnessed uh, domestic violence, or you had a parent with alcohol or drug problems, or a parent who's incarcerated, you were abused sexually, physically, or emotionally. Those are some examples of adverse childhood experiences. The more of those that you have, the, the more likely you are to have social impairments and also um, high-risk behaviors. And just what we call pain. We know that pain is part of the human condition, but many people self-medicate their pain with food. And you may not even realize that you're doing it because the trauma that you experienced may have happened when you were very young, or, you know, you may think that your trauma is just, it's no big deal. Like, you know, I've had people say, oh, well, uh, you know, everybody I know has experienced something similar so it's not a big deal when, in fact, it really is. So how do we define trauma in general? Because you can say, well, you know, I haven't been abused, but maybe I've had some of the other things. And trauma really is that loss and experience that causes a loss of an essential part of yourself, like a loss of safety or security, feelings of trust. So if you, you know, if your listeners just think about growing up, were there ever experiences where you felt really insecure for, you know, a long period of time, or you felt like an experience happened that made you lose trust. Uh, those are the kinds of things that then can lead to uh, eating issues. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does make sense. And it's, uh, it's very, I know, working with clients and, and just in my own survivor journey of someone who experienced trauma in childhood and in uh, early elementary school and into my teen years struggles with eating for, well, you know, I mean, pretty much most of my life. And of course that varies, you know, it, it wasn't an extreme 
issue as far as like an eating disorder with me, but I, I've had problems with food and the relationships with food and I've struggled with some food addictions here and there throughout my life. So I absolutely know that trauma does indeed affect, um, you know, our, our eating habits and can, and, you know, can develop into eating disorders, as you mentioned. And you're right there. It always bears mentioning that there are so many different types of trauma and, you know, whether it's, whether it's childhood mm-hmm. sexual abuse or it's narcissistic abuse or it's, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. physical trauma or it's a natural disaster. There are so many things. And, right. um, you know, and, and so I think it's all, it's always good to remember that various types of trauma, you know, it doesn't mean, regardless of what you went through, it doesn't minimize the you know potential that you could be developing an eating disorder, as you mentioned, even through childhood, uh, perhaps even before, you know, most of this trauma even happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and this adverse childhood experiences study has linked childhood trauma with over 40 different conditions, everything from depression, anxiety, ADD, to medical conditions like autoimmune disease, heart disease. So it's, you know, more and more research is coming out that's highlighting that childhood trauma even can have an effect on your risk for heart disease. There was a study that just came out, I think yesterday or today showing that. So I think it's, you know, it's an awareness that many people don't have. And when you become aware of that, it explains a lot of what you may be feeling because many people blame themselves. They think, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just, you know, stop, gaining weight or, you know, why can't I lose weight or, you know, why can't I get my eating under control? What's wrong with me? And when you really recognize that trauma may be the underlying cause, it shifts the conversation from what's wrong with me to what happened to me. And now what do I need to do about what happened to me? So I think that's really, it's an important recognition for that reason. The other, um, the other type of trauma that um, many people don't talk about is, um, you know, weight stigmatization or fat shaming, bullying uh, that's related to your size or appearance is actually uh, completely linked to uh, the opposite of what people want. When you have been fat shamed or bullied as a child because of your weight, it tends to make you less likely to have healthy eating or activity behaviors instead of more likely, you know, it puts you in that shame cycle where you just feel bad about yourself and then you don't, you know, then you have a binge and that makes you feel worse about yourself. And it's just, it goes round and round and round. So weight stigma, which is rampant in our society. I mean, it's shocking the amount of uh, hatred people have towards people of size. For example, Matt, I was in, in an airport going, getting ready to go on an international flight. And uh, some woman just out of the blue started talking to me. And then she, she, she thought it would be funny to show me this picture of an older lady she had seen in the airport who was heavy. And she had put some kind of thought, a really negative thought bubble in the picture. And she was laughing about it. And she showed that to me. And I was so shocked. I was literally speechless. And I recognized that you know, people take for granted that it's okay to joke about someone who's living in a larger body. It's okay to shame them. You know, I've had patients tell me that they were in, you know, the grocery store and they gave their one of their children a cookie and someone came up to them and said, you shouldn't be 
giving your child cookies, she's going to be as big as you are. I just thought, wow, there's no other condition in America, no other thing in America where people feel they have the right to, you know, tell you what to do and, and shame you in that way. You are so unbelievably right. And I, and I know um, the ACES study that you mentioned, which I'll also link in the show notes, has been incredibly enlightening to me when I first started working on my own trauma healing and I found out about the ACES study. I took it and I scored pretty high. So, you know, I, I know that there are, there are so many illnesses and challenges that come from and stem from, you know, um, childhood trauma. And of course, bullying is one of them. I was bullied. Uh, like I said, that was uh, late elementary school into the end of middle school. And it, yeah, it was mm. a lot of it had to do with not only my weight, but also the way I talked, the way my hair was. Um, I mm-hmm. had a learning disability. So pretty much they were able to latch on to a multitude of things with me. And it was incredibly traumatizing and in some ways almost as bad as the childhood sexual abuse that I went through because it happened later in life. So I remember more of it and it was, you know, there wasn't as much digging as, you know, that had to be done when you're talking about something between five and 10 versus, you know, 14 Mm -hmm. to 17 or something like that. You know, it's more, it was more my mind. So it was a lot more traumatic to try and work through. And I still have memories sometimes of that stuff popping in my head. And it is, it it is absolutely a form of trauma and it's very difficult. And oftentimes bullying does absolutely surround or, you know, be or happen because of the way that you look, you know, whether it's your weight or, or anything else. And that is, it is, it is incredibly traumatizing for a young child or a teenager to, 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 you know, to go through that. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's just, I know that that was another reason that really kept me having problems with food too, as well is I kind of got this mindset of, well, if I'm bullying or excuse me, if I'm being bullied and then, you know, if people are bullying me because of my weight and I can't do anything about it because I felt helpless, I'm just going to keep on eating. And so I, it was almost this kind of like a defense mechanism for me. Yeah. And that's why it causes the opposite of what you want. Mm-hmm. And it's now being seen as yet another reason why people are struggling with food and body image issues. And it you know really causes so much harm to a child's self-esteem and their uh, identity, their sense of self, you know, so yeah. unkind to other people. Yeah. And yeah. And you're right. It's everywhere. I mean, as you mentioned, the person in the airport who, you know, you had never even met before, it's all over social right. media. I mean, it just, it is. And it's, it's disheartening and it makes me, it makes me sad. It makes me angry as I'm sure it does for you. And if anything, I think it's actually yeah. more just, just disappointed in the way that people right. react and, and act towards those who, you know, I mean, regardless of your size, whether you're very thin or you're heavy, just the fact that anybody thinks they have the right to mention anything, you know, it just, it, it just blows my mind and, and it is disheartening. Um, I was just going to say one of the other areas where I feel really disheartened is, is the, are the reports and the studies showing that the number two cause of weight stigma is how doctors or medical personnel treat um, people who are either too thin or, or who are, um, you know, living in larger bodies. So I think that's another area that's inexcusable that some someone in the medical profession would be, um, you know, cause harm in that way to another person. So, 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you go to a doctor, I mean, I've I've had the good fortune of having uh, some good medical doctors in my life who have helped me and are understanding and actually have some compassion and you know some bedside manner, for lack of a better term. But I've also I also have friends who visit doctors and just the stories they say of how the doctor just walks in and just criticizes them and rolls their eyes and well, you know, just stop eating so much. I mean, what kind of advice is that? Oh. Or, I, I mean, I'm just like, are you kidding me? And so there's no there's no understanding, there's no compassion. And it's just it, it's very, I mean, talk about just re- reinforcing stigma and shame. I mean, my God. Well, and you bring up a really good point, which is that this whole notion that is, we just can't kill this notion that weight issues are due to calories in, calories out. It just seems like it keeps getting passed down to generation to generation mm-hmm. to generation. And it, it has absolutely no basis. In fact, no basis in research. There is nothing to show that calories in versus calories out is the solution to any kind of, you know, weight issue as, and neither are diets, you know, as you know, so many people turn to these fad diets and they think if I could just find the right diet, then I'll be okay. And it really diets only make matters so much worse. You know, they, they are in themselves traumatic. Um, There's been a, it was a wonderful research study that showed that diets don't work, which, you know, we've shown over and over, but it also showed that diets are very stressful. And when they cause stress, then that increases cortisol release, which then just makes the problem worse. So it, it puts you in a vicious cycle where you can never win. You can never win with a diet. Yeah, you are so right. And let's kind of go down that road a little bit of eating disorders and dieting, because I know, I mean, being somebody who has been, um, you know, struggled with my weight off and on throughout my life. And, and I know so many of, of my listeners are in this boat as well to one degree or another. But when we're talking about dieting, dieting and, and eating disorders, I know one thing that you kind of touched on and that I mentioned too was just dieting induces so much shame and so much stress because it's like, well, if I'm on mm-hmm. this diet and, you know, I have to eat this many calories or, or, you know, I don't eat this type of food or I eat more of that kind of food. And then if I get off of that or, or I kind of, you know, blow my diet for the day or whatever you want to call it, then I'm shaming myself. Well, my God, Matt, come on, you know, you know, you're an adult now. Why can't you do this? And so I'm, it feels mm-hmm. like. I've spent so much of my life shaming myself for other things. This is the last thing I need to do. And if, if I am going to do something that is going to be, you know, uh, potentially helpful and healthy for me, I don't want it to be something where I'm going to be beating myself up because I quote unquote did it wrong. Right. And, and I think that is the biggest damage that diets do besides the metabolic damage. They do, do damage to your self-esteem. There's so many people who are so much, so accomplished in so many areas of their lives and they and yet they feel like a failure and beat themselves up because they can't stay on a diet or they can't lose weight. And in my books, I talk a lot about how much time and energy we spend on worrying about losing weight, worrying about what to eat, what not to eat, obsessing about food, obsessing about our bodies and how we look. And, you know, that if you put that amount of time into any other endeavor in life, you know, you would be extremely successful, but you put it into the diet endeavor and it just creates more and more failure. And it's a $65 billion worth of failure every year in the United States, $65 billion are spent 
to make people people feel crappy about themselves. How can that be good? Oh, I know. And if I mean, if you if you watch television for any length of time, I mean, just just think a minute. How many times in a day or in a week you see a commercial that has to do with a diet? I mean, I can tell you, yeah. I was watching uh, some programs on my DVR uh, this morning, and I caught at least seven or eight diet commercials within like one program, half an hour. And so it is yes. everywhere. It's always in your face. It's books, it's videos, it's it's exercise programs, it's it's eating these um, you know foods that we send you in the mail and. And then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking and it's, myself, and it's yeah. also beat, it's also beating yourself up to mm-hmm. get fit, you know, like think about the biggest loser and how everybody who's been on that program, they never show you the alumni because they've all regained their weight. And, and they went on that show and literally beat themselves up. They were, you know, people were throwing up because they were over exercising And even with all of that, you know, that's kind of like national shaming on national TV in a way that says, you know, yeah, I'm I'm this person who has to beat myself into shape. And again, we are just I think we're just going down the wrong road and we need to get back to basics and help people understand what is the underlying cause of this problem that they're having and what do they choose to do to fix it? Because there's a lot of conversation that, okay, well, you need to lose weight for your health. And the truth of the matter is we really have no research proof of that. So it's kind of the biggest hoax that the medical or scientific um, industry has perpetrated on the American people saying that, you know, if you lose weight, you'll be healthier. As a matter of fact, even the Uh, Older studies show that just losing 5% of your weight will improve your risk for heart disease, diabetes, etc. But more than that, more than losing weight, exercise is really one of the things that promotes health above all else. And so just being more active is, you know, so we don't have to do these extreme things. We don't have to go and beat ourselves into shape. We don't have to starve ourselves. All we have to do is learn to enjoy food, learn to be willing to be a little more, have a little more body movement and, and just, um, you know, do small things over a long period of time. And it's really not about the number on the scale. It never has been. And when you see things in the media about, well, you know, it's your health and we're worried about the health of, you know, of our children and all of that kind of stuff. It's really your behaviors. It's not that number on the scale that determine whether or not you're healthy. And it's your genetics, something you have not as much control over (laughs) as you would Mm -hmm. think, you know? Yeah. And you're right. I mean, there's so many factors that, that, you know, go in to being healthy. And I mean, I always, I always think of it too, as, you know, whenever somebody says, or if I go into a doctor's office or something and I see, um, you know, the normal, like, um, a chart that says, well, if you're five foot seven, you should weigh this amount of pounds and, you know, this type of thing. And I, and, and of course, as we were talking about, it's not necessarily, um, you know, all, always about losing weight and being healthy. I mean, when you think about, some of these uh, professional athletes. I mean, we're talking football players who are 350 pounds and they're, you know, six foot five, mm-hmm. 350. And these guys can run wind sprints and 40 yard dashes faster than 
you know, somebody who's half their size. And, um, you know, so it's not, I just, it's a good reminder that it's not necessarily about, you know, your size and your weight about being healthy because, you know, there are a lot of, it's about your relationship with food, the kind of food you eat, when you eat exercise, all these things that we're talking about. And of course your genetics and uh, trauma, obviously fitting in there as we're talking about as well. And so if we're talking about food addictions um, and eating disorders, how exactly do we get to be addicted to food? Well, I want to reframe your question just a little bit, Matt, because I don't, I don't like the trend that we're going down and especially in the media of demonizing certain foods and saying they're bad and other foods are good because that's all part of the diet industry as well. So it's, again, it's not the food that is the problem. It's how we are using the food. And it's also who is using food in that way. So again, if you have that childhood trauma that may have affected your uh, the, the way that your dopamine is released in the brain, which is the molecule that causes us to feel pleasure when we eat and pleasure when we do other things that, you know, watch a sunset, uh, have a glass of wine, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's, there's the factor of the effect on the brain that's going on as well as the effect of food. So I don't want to say food is addictive. What the research really shows is that fasting or restricting what you eat sets you up for a pattern that looks like food addiction. So when you deprive yourself of certain foods because you've been told they are quote unquote bad, then that automatically sets you up for this cycle where you're craving the foods and you hold off, hold off, and then you don't have them for a while. And then you finally, you can't hold off any longer. And then you you go and binge on those foods. And that's what many people call food addiction, that you know, highly palatable foods uh, do cause a dopamine spike in the brain. And, and that's not a bad thing. But when we deprive ourselves, whenever there's deprivation in the picture, that's what uh, leads to those cravings and that intense cycle of obsessing and then over- overeating or binging. Yeah, absolutely. And something you mentioned too, and and that is uh, fasting and or um, depriving ourselves of all food or certain types of food. And now I know that there are benefits um, and fasting from a spiritual sense, which I'm not necessarily going down that road for this conversation, but more of there are some um, eating plans or diets that that often encourage fasting for certain amounts of time. And I'm I'm kind of curious just because it kind of popped into my head as you mentioned it. Is this something that would be something to even consider trying? I mean, are, are there are there indeed mm-hmm. any benefits to these types of of diets where it is where, where it does involve like an extreme amount of fasting? You know, again, it 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 is who is doing the fasting and where they are coming from. So if they're coming from a point of I'm going to fast because I need to lose this weight or I can't be happy then that's going to be detrimental. Anything that causes a sense of deprivation in a person is going to be detrimental. So that should be a red flag. Now, when you look at, you know, there are studies that show that um, juice fasting, for example, in people who have rheumatoid arthritis can help reduce their symptoms dramatically. And so there are medical reasons for fasting. There are spiritual reasons for fasting. 
But again, it starts with the person. And if you're coming from that place of I'm not good enough, no one will love me if I'm, you know, fill in the blank, um, then I think anything that makes you feel deprived is going to be, you know, an issue. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and I'm glad I'm glad that we that we talked about that because I do have some friends who are doing fasting right now, actually several. And so I was kind of curious to your yeah. take on it. Um, so how do we um as trauma survivors develop a healthier relationship with eating and with food overall? Because, you know, as you mentioned, there's so much being thrown at us in the media and on the internet and just in daily life of, you know, fit into this dress size, lose weight, feel better, you know, do it for your heart, do it for your kids, blah, blah, blah. How do we get to a place where we are able to actually have a healthy um, relationship with, with eating and with, and with ourselves and with food? In my book, I talk about the five uh, steps to recovery from any kind of eating addiction or eating disorder. And it starts really with just look, you know, having that awareness of this connection between trauma and your eating behaviors. And the first step is really to address the behaviors to try to see if you can, you know, minimize some of the triggers, minimize these restriction periods where you don't eat all day and then you, you know, binge at night um, and try to you know, be mindful about what you're eating and how it feels in your body. Bring awareness to your uh, relationship with food rather than having to focus on using food in a way that, again, is to beat myself into shape. The second level, though, I mean, the first level is important, but it's the tip of the iceberg. It's what you see above the water. And then beneath the water is this huge, you know, bit of ice with People don't address, and that's where your emotions, you know, how you regulate your emotions. Are you able to regulate yourself when you're under stress? Are you able to manage your emotions when, you know, uh, you get upset? Or do you turn to food and use food to help you with your emotions? And then it goes down to how do we address the core beliefs that we've developed as a result of these adverse childhood experiences, core beliefs like, Uh, I'm not worthy, or I'm not enough, or I'm not good enough. All of those core beliefs become somewhat in the background. And until we bring them to the foreground and actually ask ourselves, is this still true for me? Or is this true for me? And do I still need to use food as a way to make me feel better about myself? Or are there other things that now as an adult that I can do? You know, obviously, the way I dealt with my trauma as a child helped me survive those experiences. But perhaps now as an adult, you may be able to tap into other skills besides just the use of food. And then really reconnecting the fifth level is the deepest level of recovery. And that's really reconnecting to the deeper urges of your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, connecting to something that's deeper than, Uh, external appearance or deeper than, um, you know, what people say about me. It's really about like who I am as a person, who that part of me that's never changed, even throughout the trauma or throughout the childhood experiences. There's a part of each of us that is still whole and complete. And how can we tap into that 
Because once you tap into that, you start to realize that you've been putting your life on hold and you don't need to do that. What, what's more fulfilling than losing weight, for example, is you know being uh, able to be loved and to love others, to be a contribution, um, to have fulfillment in your life in various ways. So those are the five levels I talk about in my books. And I take people through the same process that I use when I work with people individually or when I work with people in the anchor program online. It's the same five levels. And how do you, you know, identify uh, those for yourself and start to turn your attention inward to that looking for that essence of who you are that hasn't changed. Yeah, th- those are amazing. And one of them, one of them that, that jumped out at me was learning to find yourself and find who you are and love yourself and, you know, uh, connect with yourself on a spiritual level. And if you are a trauma survivor, quite often we have no idea who we are for quite a long, you know, I mean, right. I, there were a lot of things about myself that I didn't realize until I started working through my trauma with a professional. And then I realized that there a lot of things began to make sense as to why I acted a certain way or why I had self-esteem problems and problems with food and all these things. But I was also able to connect myself to myself on a deeper level with, with my faith and with my own understanding. And so I think it's a great point, you know, as we start to wrap it up here is when you are um, working through your trauma and learning to have a healthier relationship with, with what you eat and with food and with exercise and to really understand that it does take, or that it is a learning experience of discovering more about who you are. And when you do, I think for me, at least it kind of made the whole process. I'm not going to say easier, but it made it a bit more. um, It it gave me an ability to have more self-compassion for myself and more understanding, which then Mm -hmm. allowed me to connect with all the strategies and what things I wanted to do. Right. I love what you said just now, because it really is about being able to connect with yourself. Often when I start working with people, they hate their younger selves. They feel like they feel betrayed by what happened to them. And it's really having that self-compassion, which takes time. It's, you know, it really starts with neutrality and neutralizing some of the negative opinions that we've internalized from society. And then being able to recognize that, you know, your younger self did the best he or she could in the, in the situation that they were in and to have compassion for them and for yourself as an adult to recognize, okay, this happened to me, but this isn't who I am. So that's why I say it's so important to change that conversation from what's wrong with me, which is all about shame and blame and guilt to what happened to me because food is not the problem. And so we need to take our attention off the scale and off the food and put our attention inward to recognize what happened to me has had an effect for years and may for years to come. And we need to really work on, on, on that deeper level so that we can have more permanent change. That is an absolute perfect way to wrap up this podcast. There's so many things I could go 
I could I could talk to you just forever about, and I'm sure that we can do a podcast again and kind of continue this conversation because there's so many um, avenues that we can dive into deeper as we just kind of touch the surface a little bit here uh, with having you on the, on the uh, podcast for the first time. But uh, Carolyn, this has been amazing. I am so grateful for your insight, for coming on the show today, and we can wrap it up and you can tell everybody where to find your books, your program, and um, if they're interested okay. in working with you. Wonderful. Matt, it's been a pleasure to talk to you as well. And um, my website address is carolynrossmd.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-R-O-S-S-M-D.com. And on my website, you can find out more about the online um, coaching program that I have for people with food and body image issues called the Anchor Program. And then my books, I have a book on binge eating and compulsive reading, another book on emotional eating, and one on food addiction. All of those are available on Amazon, and you can see uh, more information about the books on my website, carolynrossmd.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Carolyn. This has been incredible, and and we will do it again soon. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.